Welcome to this episode of Focus Points. This is a series intended to help us as a church better understand our Bible as we read through the Bible together this year. We're going to look at one book of the Bible each episode and try to answer one basic question. What do I need to know in order to get more out of reading this book? So, let's get started. Today we're going to be looking at the book of Joshua. Joshua is one of those interesting books because it's a book of both conclusions and also beginnings. In one sense, it's very helpful to think of Joshua as the end of the books of Moses, you know, those first five books of the Bible, because it talks about how he, how God is fulfilling that land promise and how the wilderness ending wanderings, they do have an end. But at the same time, Joshua is a book of beginnings. All right, it's talking about the land and the division of the land, and we really enter into a new stage of history in the Israelite nation as they have a land, and now they're being called upon to live out all the laws that they've been given in the book of in the books of Moses. So it's full of conclusions, yet it's full of beginnings. When we think about the structure of the book of Joshua, uh, you can think of it as in five, uh, sorry, four words. Okay, you have the word cross. All right, so they're about to cross over into Jordan, and that's about five chapters, chapter one through chapter five. You have the word take. They're going to take control of the land, and that's chapter six through chapter 12 that you have really the main military thrust of the book. Divide. Now that they have the land after crossing and taking, then they divide it. And chapter 13 through 21, it's a little bit dull reading because it's a lot of lists, but it's important because it's God giving the people their inheritance that was promised over 500 years ago to Abraham when God first made that covenant in Genesis chapter 12. So you have cross, take, divide, and then chapters 22 to 24, you have serve. And that's, you know, Joshua gathering the people and giving them one last encouragement to take heed to the law of the Lord and to serve God. So when you're reading through the book, just think of it as chapter 1 through 5, cross, chapter 6 through 12, take, 13 through 21, divide, and then the last three chapters, serve. The message of the book of Joshua is a great one. It's very applicable to things that we're going through the day, through today. And that's basically God fulfills his promises through his people's obedience. God fulfills his promises through his people's obedience. In other words, God has these promises that he is going to be faithful to fulfill. But how he fulfills those promises is he uses people that people had to go into the land and they had to fight. Yes, God had given them the land, but they had to eradicate the Canaanites that were in there. Yet even as they sought to conquer the land, it was God's power that was enabling them to do the work. You think of just practical application to today. God has given me many promises. God promises to provide. God promises to help and to give grace. But just because God promises some of these things to me, it doesn't mean that I just quit my job and expect God to miraculously provide. No, sometimes God provides for my needs by giving me a place to work so that I can earn in order to purchase what I might need. So you have this message, God fulfills his promises, but he does it through his people's obedience. So there's really two big themes that fall underneath that message that as you're reading through the book, you can kind of trace and highlight and maybe help you uh, understand what might be going on in a particular passage. The first theme is this, God's promises. All right, 
Joshua chapter 21, verse 45. It says, There failed not aught of any good thing which the Lord had spoken unto the house of Israel. All came to pass. That's huge. It is amazing to think about how God's promises all came to pass. And God had made many promises to Israel about this conquest period. The first one is, when they went in, he promised his presence. All right? He tells Joshua in chapter 1, verse 5, I will be with thee. In chapter 1, 9 and 3, 7, we have this repeated truth, the Lord thy God is with thee. And even the captain of the Lord's army in Joshua 5, end of Joshua 5, beginning of Joshua 6, he is physically present with his sword drawn. And you just think of Joshua amazed to see this angelic being who's the captain of the Lord's army, most likely a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ himself, here he is with his sword drawn saying, go into the land and I'm going to be with you. And Joshua's just probably thinking to himself, all right, if that's with me, there's no way we can lose. We are going to be winning. So God's promised, God promises, God's promised his presence. The second type of promise that God made is that his power would be what would help them. As they went into the land, Uh, chapter 3, verse 5, Joshua said to the people, the Lord will do wonders among you. Get ready just to watch what God is going to do in order to give us this land. It's going to be amazing. Chapter 24, verse 12, God describes how he sent hornets before the Israelites to chase their enemies away so that they would not win because of their own swords or their own bows. They were going to win because of the power of God. It's the power of God over nature that put terror into the Canaanites' hearts. You think of Rahab, how she says, we heard what your God did in Egypt and our hearts just melted. What is God doing? He's fulfilling his promise to have his promise and his promise of power to give the Israelites what they need in order for them to go in and claim the land. One of his biggest goals in doing, uh, showing his great power, uh, chapter 4, verse 24 says, is that all the nations of the earth, when they would see what the Israelites were doing, they wouldn't think, oh, that's a huge nation. That's a nation full of warriors. No, they'd say, that nation has an amazing God, and God would receive glory because his power, his promised power went before them. The the third thing that God promised is judgment, and that is a big part of what is happening in the book of Joshua. We're going to talk in a side note about the whole issue, moral issue of the extermination of the Canaanites. But if you think back to Genesis chapter 15, God said of the land that he had promised Abraham, he told Abraham that the sin of the Amorites, who were Canaanites, is not yet full. In other words, I am going to wait But there's going to come a time where there is so much sin in the land of Canaan that I am going to go and judge the people of Canaan. And so what's happening in the conquest is really God keeping his promise of judgment. It's judgment for them, but it is blessing for Israel because they are given the land. But God doesn't play favorites in his judgment either. You think of what happens when Achan sinned against the Lord, and he took what should have been devoted to the Lord at Jericho, and he took it for himself. Well, earlier on in Deuteronomy, God has all these blessings and curses. If you obey, I'll bless you, Israel, 
But I am promising that if you disobey, there will be judgment. And we see that God's promised judgment even comes to pass in Achan's life. The fourth thing that he promised Israel is the land itself. So the Canaanites lost the land, and that was their curse. The blessing for Israel is that they got the land. If you read through the book, you're going to see the idea of God giving the land over and over and over again. Over 84 times, one Hebrew word that just simply means to give is used in relationship to the land. The word for inheritance is going to come up about 50 times. The idea that this is the promised land. It is fulfilling God's covenant with Abraham to give you, O Israel, this land. Chapters 13 through 21 you know, the lists of all the cities that went to which tribe and all the dividing up and the lots falling in different places with the land. Yes, it might be hard for us as 21st century Americans to read, but it's showing us that God is faithful to keep his promise, specifically this promise of the land. So that's the first real big theme, God's promises. He promised his presence, his power, his judgment, and the land. The second big theme that we see in the book of Joshua is man's responsibility. God is going to be faithful, but man is still responsible. And he's responsible really to do two things. The first thing is to obey. If you look through the book of Joshua, about 70 times you have the idea of someone commanding another person to do something. Whether it's God commanding Joshua, or Joshua taking what God has commanded and he is commanding Israel, or some variation of that. But they are always being commanded to do things. So whether it's carrying out battle plans, like the battle plan of Jericho, or whether it's completely obeying God's instructions to utterly destroy the Canaanites, or whether it's the command to keep the law of the Lord, this idea of obedience is a major part of the book of Joshua. Man is responsible, specifically Israel is responsible to obey. And Israel, secondly, is responsible to remember. The concept of remembrance is big in Joshua. It starts off with Joshua 4. After Israel gets across the the Jordan River, they take these stones at Gilgal and they set them up as a remembrance so that they don't forget what God has done for them. There's the circumcision and the Passover that is kept in Joshua chapter 5. Again, don't forget who we are and what God has done to bring us to this point. There's a ceremony at Mount Ebel where the blessings and curses of the Mosaic law are rehearsed so that the people don't forget. They need to remember what God has told them and promised them. Joshua chapter 24, at the end of the book, you have this covenant that Joshua makes with Israel at Shechem. And a big part of that covenant is that they don't forget what God has done and who he is and what he expects of them. It makes sense. Man is responsible to obey, and in order to obey, he needs to remember what God has done and who God is and what God wants them to do. So you have this big message God is faithful to keep his promises, but he keeps his promises through his people's obedience. And so you have God's promises, his power, his presence, his judgment, and the land, and then you have man's responsibility to obey and then to remember. So as you read through the book of Joshua, I'd encourage you to think of these questions. First of all, how could this, how could this passage connect to the promises of God? 
Is this talking about land? Is it judgment? Is it power? Is it his presence? All right, what promise of God might be talked about? Second, what does this passage have to say about the character and will of God? Because there are a lot of things about God's character that are revealed in the book, like how he is merciful towards certain people, even though they're Canaanites, like Rahab and the Gibeonites. All right, what can I learn about God just by how he's treating these various people or people groups? And then third, what does this passage teach about man's responsibility to God? Is it talking about obedience? Is it promoting remembrance? All right, what is it telling about Israel's responsibility? So I trust as you read through the book of Joshua over this next week and week and a half that it will be a great blessing to you. God bless.